Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask that now, as we think on it more, that you'd open our eyes and our hearts and by your spirit, that we might understand it and live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me begin straight away by taking you back a few years to when I was doing my Silver Duke of Edinburgh's award. I did say it was a while ago. But I'm talking about the expedition section. If you have done your DV or are doing it at the minute, you'll know what I'm talking about. Now, in Northern Ireland, you pretty much have to do your expedition in the Mourne Mountains. And therefore, because you're in Northern Ireland and you're on a mountain, it's guaranteed to be wet, at least at some point of the trip. If I look back, I often describe doing Duke of Edinburgh as character building. Fun wouldn't be the word that I would use to describe it. You see, as a child, or, or I should be more specific, as as the son of a very traditional Northern Irish mum, I hadn't so much as made a round of toast, never mind trying to cook a high-calorie meal over a transient stove in the wind. Anyway, we went on our practice expedition for the weekend, and long story short, we had to be rescued off the mountain during the first night as well. The weather turned, and remember this is Northern Ireland, so to say that the rain became so heavy that it was no longer safe to stay on the mountain is saying something. Me, along with the other boys in my group, we, we didn't know that it was too much rain, so we just stayed in our tent until someone came and told us we needed to leave. Now, the word, the word rescue may be a slight overstatement, but the rain was terrible and so terrible that our teachers took pity on us. So I'm going to stick with the word rescued. Now, don't be fooled into thinking that our teachers were in the tent just along from us, and actually the rain wasn't that bad, but they thought, I'm not up for this this weekend, let's just pack up and go home. No, you see, this was many years ago, and so the teachers were nowhere to be seen. They were in a B&B in town, in cosy, warm, dry circumstances. They could have just stayed there enjoying the cosy warmth of their B&B drinks, a takeaway, comfortable beds in ensuite rooms. But our teachers, thankfully, didn't look at that B&B as a cosy holiday spot or a weekend away. They knew that they were there to be on call. The B&B wasn't really there for them to enjoy, but really it was a rescue center. Thankfully, they didn't just concern themselves with those who were inside already, but continued to think of those who were outside the B&B. If you're a Christian here tonight, how tempting it is for us to get all too cozy in church, to get comfy and only concern ourselves with those who are already on the inside and forget about those who are in danger on the outside. If you're a Christian here tonight, then you're a member of God's church, and God's church isn't a cozy B&B somewhere for us to sit inside and enjoy the warmth instead. It's a rescue center. The church is supposed to be a place from which we go out and we rescue. It exists for those who are outside of its number. It exists for those who, who Paul in verse five, 5 of our passage calls outsiders. That is, those who are outside of the church, non-Christians. If we are members of this rescue center, 
then we come here to learn the ropes, to grow in our understanding for training so that we might be able to go out and rescue. If we look at the church like a cozy and exclusive club for those on the inside, well, we could say, well, we're fine and it's fine. People can come and join us if they want. It's up to them, though. But the church isn't a club. We're manning a rescue center. And we are the members who need to launch out on rescue. And we all, if you're one of God's people, we all have a part to play in this. We need to fight the temptation of drifting towards becoming a club just for those of us who are on the inside. And we need to keep our head in that rescue station mode. Reaching out to those around us who don't know God. And I think that's what Paul wants us to focus on through this passage tonight. Paul in Colossians 4 takes us back to basics. How might we avoid the drift into comfort and remain outward focused? Well, I think he says three things to us. Firstly, keep praying. Secondly, keep walking. And thirdly, keep talking. So first then, keep praying. Have a look down with me at verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul says, keep praying. Keep going at it. When I was a teenager, I went along to a discipleship group each week. Basically, it was a small group from my youth group. We met at our leader's house um, after school one afternoon in the week. And there were probably about eight to ten of us in my group. Every week, our leader would ask us, how's your prayer life? And we would all hope that someone else would jump in and answer the question. But he was getting at that same point that Paul gets at here. Keep praying. He's not talking about long periods on our knees by our beds, but a commitment. This is something that we need to keep going at, even when we're tempted to stop, when we're tempted to think that no one's listening and that God hasn't answered our prayers, we need to keep going and persevere with it. And I wonder if that is something that you're doing at the minute. Because you see, it's not something that will happen by accident. Do you have plans when you might pray in the week? Have you got time set aside in your diary or in your head, a part of your daily routine where you will stop? Or maybe just even pray as you keep going. Do you pray that we would keep rescue center, rescue station focused and pray for those that you're reaching out to? Well, I wonder if you maybe find the regular and steadfast praying harder than it sounds like it should be. You see, we often talk about praying and reading our Bible. And, well, Bible reading as a discipline, it's something that's tangible for us. We can, we can touch it. You see, you can buy yourself the next shiny book from the next popular author or the, the next set of Bible reading notes. And those things are great. You can hold the Bible. You can read it aloud. But, but prayer can be a little bit more difficult at times, can't it? So, as is 
customary these days, I was thinking on this, and so I turned to Google um, and typed in tips for praying. And the Gospel Coalition had a helpful blog that came up number one. So I'm going to pass along three tips that the Gospel Coalition gave me this week. Firstly, think about keeping a prayer journal where you can write down your prayers or simply note down the things that you're praying about. The thanks, the praise that you're giving to God, as well as the list of things that you need or want God to help with. This book almost becomes a book of of letters to God. It can make prayer time something of a habit. The time that you sit down and do this. It can help you with being thankful as well as you look back on, on days and weeks before and see how God has answered your prayer. So think about a prayer journal. The second thing then is to, to think about who you're praying for regularly. Write down their names, write down the things that you're going to pray for them. Some of the things that they maybe need at the moment or things that you think uh, they need. You might give a day or a couple of days in the week to certain people. So you pray for mum on Mondays and Thursdays, dad on Tuesdays and Fridays and so on. It can be helpful to think about their needs and their deepest needs and pray regularly for them. Or when, when words escape us, when prayer is hard, the Bible, as, as Ben's already demonstrated to us tonight, the, the Bible is, is full of prayers written down for us to use. In the book of Psalms that Ben read to us from earlier, in particular, that might be a good place to start. The Psalms were something of a prayer book at the time of Jesus. The words, the words of truth, the desires of the heart, and the needs of the people are all in there, and they're still relevant for us today. They might spur us on to our own words, to our own needs, to our own praise of God. So you might want to consider using the Psalms, but don't be disheartened if you come to it the first time and, and it feels like you're just reading it. You might want to think about making that part of your habit that, that one day a week you turn to the Psalms for prayer. If those things are helpful or not, um, speaking to, to other Christians, finding out how they're doing with it, what is it that helps them could help us. Because, you see, being devoted to prayer will help us to look outward, to keep thinking of ourselves in a rescue center. So that when, when you look out across your form class or the, the dining hall or, or the lab or the office or just your group of friends, a prayerful heart and a prayerful, uh, a prayerful set of eyes will look and see the needs of the people in front of us. So Paul says, continue in prayer, being watchful with thankfulness. I wonder if you recently stopped to consider what it is to be a Christian. Free forgiveness, sin washed away, free access to God as your friend. The future promise of blessings and heaven. The list could go on. I wonder when the last time we stopped unprompted and, and cried out to God in thanks for what he has done for us, for how he has changed our hearts. 
Be steadfast in prayer, Paul says. But he also asks for prayer for himself. You see, he's in prison. And so you'd think he would be praying, pray for my release. But, but no, it's interesting. He doesn't ask the chains to be smashed open or the doors to be flung wide. Well, not the doors that are holding him anyway. He, he prays for a slightly different set of doors to be opened. Look at verse 3. Pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. He prays for opportunities to preach the gospel, that, he may make it, that God may make it clear how he's ought to speak. Paul asking his readers to pray that he might be clear. He's saying that the gospel isn't something it's not something that people can work out on their own or come to you from just pure logic. It's something that needs revealed. That even the Apostle Paul needs help to make the gospel clear to those who he's speaking to. That he might preach it as clearly as he can. That they might find this mystery. So we should be praying this for ourselves. Praying that we might find the courage to speak. Praying that we might find the people in our lives with that deepest need of forgiveness. And speak to them so clearly that they might understand. And we mustn't assume that Ken or Ben or David or any of our church staff, because they're church staff, find this in some way easier. We must pray too for them that that God would give them the relationships, the words to say, and the courage to speak as well as they lead us in this. So Paul says, the first thing we need to do day by day, by day ourselves is keep praying. So let's move on then. Secondly, keep walking. Look down with me at verse 5. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. We need to relate to those outside the church in a way that will help them to see and hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, the rest of the world is telling, telling everyone out there that their greatest need is success or popularity or, or being yourself or wealth, or sex, or achievement, or whatever else could be on that list. Many in your class may think that their greatest need is to finish their GCSEs and get their A-levels, or, or find a new or a better boyfriend or girlfriend, or, or it might be for a bigger paycheck, a better job, or better holidays. And you see, those things that are listed are, are not necessarily bad. Many are important, and the problem with them is that they're not our greatest need. They're not the greatest need of all people because our greatest need is to be right with God. And so Paul says that in everything we do, we need to walk amongst those around us in a way that will help them to hear and see the gospel of Christ or to flip it and put it in the negative. We need to make sure that we aren't walking in a way which turns them away from the gospel. And I guess that's what Paul's been describing as he's um, taken us through chapter 3. He says that to live in the light of being in Christ means putting off certain old self behaviors, 
If you look back at chapter 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. And instead, Paul says, put on a whole different set of clothing. So if you look down chapter 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. The way that we walk amongst those outside should lead them to hear and see the gospel of Christ, the forgiveness, the compassion of our Lord Jesus. Walking wisely amongst those who are not yet Christians looks like this. So the question for us is not whether, it's not whether or not we're going to be an advert for the Christian faith. The question is whether we're going to be a good advert or a not so good advert. But you see, this is all irrelevant, isn't it? Unless we're spending time and investing in friendships with non-Christians. You see, one of the dangers of of drifting and thinking of the church as a cozy place for us to be and drifting away from that truth that we are in a rescue station is that the longer we are Christians, the more difficult it can be to spend time with non-believers, non-Christian friends, because we get more stuck in and more involved in the church and we get more and more Christian friends and we get comfortable. And our rescue station becomes something of a club. I suppose in some way there's, there's four case studies for us. There's the Christian who is so busy at church that, that they, they, they barely know a single non-Christian. But they can recite the books of the Bible backwards as well. Um, and that's their school. Or there's the second person, the Christian, who has the balance right and invests in non-Christian friendships but when, when they're with them, they're not guarding their words. They're not being careful with their behavior around them. There's the Christian who's a shining example to their non-Christian friends. They're always talking to them about, about how they would like to be more like her, more like her. But yet she never says a word about her faith. Or there's the Christian who thoughtfully cares for her non-Christian friends invites them along and speaks about her faith openly. Now, it's overly simplistic, isn't it? We can be all four of those people at different times. But how how are you doing with this? For some here, maybe you need to cut out some church activities. Sorry, Karen, not the time when you've just asked for the great Christmas sign-up. To invest in those who are outside the church. Maybe you've got some excellent non-Christian friends and you know you need to pluck up the courage to talk a bit more openly about faith and belief with them. Maybe this evening you know you've got to pluck up the courage to invite them to a Christmas carol service. Or do you know that at times you're giving out mixed signals, that there's a disconnect between the faith that you talk about 
and your actions or words at times in some situations. I'm guessing that, like me, we all need help in some of these areas. And just like with prayer, we can spur one another along. So who can you tell from amongst us? Who can you tell? Who, what Christian can you speak to and pray with and keep talking with about how you're doing with, with walking wisely amongst non-believers? You might have been at church last Sunday morning when Dave Baker was interviewed. And he said something which really stood out to me. He told us that one of the ways he starts off with non-Christians at work is by simply making no secret of the fact that he's been to church. So when you're asked tomorrow at school or at work or by a friend, what did you get up to at the weekend? What will you talk about from the weekend? Will you have the courage to to drop in that you were at church and think about where the conversation might go if they ask what that's like. So keep praying, keep walking wisely, and thirdly then, and lastly, keep talking. So look down at verse five again. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. Make the best use of time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. All of us will have opportunities in conversation and we need to make the most of those opportunities. We need to look for them and make the most of them. That's going to look different for different people, but the key is that we take the opportunity that we actually speak. Paul tells us that we should do this by adding salt to the conversation. That's, that is to sprinkle faith, to sprinkle our, our faith into conversation. You see, nobody sits down to have a great big spoonful of salt, but we sprinkle it on our food to flavor it. So when friends are talking about the next get-together, and they say that they've noticed that, that you don't get drunk at the 18th birthday parties or at the work Christmas party, it could be easy to say, oh, I just, I just don't like getting drunk. And you see, that, that could be true. But is, it, is there a more salty way to answer that, to respond to that? Oh, well, yeah, I, I, do, I don't get drunk because I'm a Christian. You've put it out there, and it's up to them how they respond. They may well ask more about it. They might not at that particular moment. Maybe there are, are different opportunities to be taken at the moment when talking about what's going on in the world. I was at um, an event recently through work where somebody was talking as, as astounded that there are more food banks in the UK than there are McDonald's. And they were speaking about this as if something about the year 2023 should mean that we're not, we don't need those anymore. But as Christians, we know the state of our hearts. We know that we live in a broken world. So whether it's, it's poverty or whether we're looking at the conflict in the Ukraine or the Middle East, do we need to do something on, on, or, or think about how we might talk about the human condition, about the brokenness of our world and the brokenness and sinfulness 
of the human heart? How do we respond to the assumption that that because it's 2023, the world should be perfect? That we are so much more enlightened and we should have reached that nirvana, that perfection. However we do it, Paul says that we need to take the opportunities and sprinkle salt, sprinkle faith into our conversations. He doesn't leave it by telling us to to walk wisely and they'll see. We've got to walk and talk. However we do it, Paul is saying that our actions need to be wise, but we cannot just leave it there. Our conversations should make the most of every opportunity too. It's a short passage tonight, but I find certainly as I've thought on it, the call is great and is challenging. We need to keep praying. We need to keep walking wisely. And we need to keep talking about our faith. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have called us from darkness into light, that you've called us from death into life. Thank you that you have transformed our hearts and changed us, that we might believe in you. And we thank you for the blessings of of being your people now and the blessings that are promised and still to come. Lord, we pray that you would protect us in our church from becoming Uh, internal and cozy where we are but keep us outward focused that we might be a rescue station looking to seek and save those who do not yet know you so we pray that as uh, as as we think on this evening as we go out from here into the week lord we pray that the words that we've read from your bible this evening would not simply go out of our heads, but that you, by your Spirit, would draw us to you more in prayer and help us and guide us and give us wisdom as we share our faith with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen.